Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gray Matter, the podcast from Greylock, where we share stories from company builders and business leaders. I'm Heather Mack, head of editorial at Greylock. Today, Greylock general partner Reed Hoffman talks with two entrepreneurs who are driving innovation in autonomous vehicle technology. His guests are Chris Ermson, who is the CEO and co-founder of Aurora, which has developed self-driving technology for trucks and passenger cars, and Jay-Z, who is the CEO and co-founder of Neuro, which has developed driverless delivery vehicles. Autonomous driving is among the most exciting applications for artificial intelligence. It's also among the most challenging to actually pull off. From the capital-intensive combination of hardware and software, to the complex coordination between multiple stakeholders to ensure safety. In this conversation, Reed, Chris, and Jay-Z take stock of where the field is today and discuss how major advancements in the past few years have made the reality of wide-scale autonomous driving closer than ever before. This interview took place during Greylock's Intelligent Future event, a day-long summit featuring leading experts and entrepreneurs in artificial intelligence. You can watch the video of this interview on our YouTube channel, and you can read the transcript on our website, greylock.com. And so now I'm delighted uh, to invite two other friends up on stage. You guys should start coming. <laughs> um, uh, uh, CEO and uh, co-founder of Aurora, Chris Rimson, and CEO and co-founder of Neuro, uh, Jay-Z, uh, two of the folks who I also learned from. <laughs> right, so Thank you. Part of the, the reason, the, the, our selection of the folks that we would have come join us are uh, people that we learn from uh, intensely. So. Let's uh, start with the kind of the current state of, of what's happening on roads and autonomy. Um, I guess I'll start with you, um, Chris. Um, what I think most of the people in the room will understand that actually we're already on the road, but they may not realize how much of it uh, is actually already pragmatic. And I, I, I kind of got that because of the like sitting in the truck going on that path from Dallas towards Houston, looking at the server closet, looking at all the rest, going, oh my God, like you could see it. But say a little bit about what the current, the current like today is happening. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's happened in the self-driving space is over the last few years, we went from a mode of, hey, it's all solved, it's done tomorrow, we're gonna ship it next week, uh, to, boy, is this ever really going to happen? Uh, and, and I think both extremes were, were and are wrong, right? That today, there, there are vehicles on the road. You can get a ride in a cruise vehicle. You can get goods delivered by Neuro. Uh, you can get a ride in a Waymo vehicle with nobody behind the wheel. You can come down to Texas. You can see one of our trucks driving between Dallas and Houston. Uh, you know, and, and so this is, this is happening today. It's happening in a meaningful way. Um, and you know we're pulling loads. Like if you got a FedEx parcel that got shipped from Houston, there's a good chance that you know it, it sat in one of our trucks on the way there. So uh, to you. So I think it's it's incredibly exciting. It's going to take a little while as we kind of do things in the physical world, uh, right? And we put in place the the supply of vehicles and, and integrate with them and do all the work that we have to to make sure these things are safe. But you know it's coming along really well. Yeah, we'll come back to safety. Uh, in a bit, but also, uh, Jay-Z, same question. In part, we have one of the vehicles here that actually has California tags on it. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of rolled in, but uh, same thing. What does what is, what is today look like, you know, looking out for the next couple of months? Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with Chris. Uh, I, I still remember probably 13 uh, years ago, we started working together on self yep. I mean, it's been a long journey. Uh, I think this is definitely already in a zero to one. Uh, we've passed the one. Uh, now it's 
about scaling. Uh, so as Chris said, um, we already have self-driving cars on the roads. Uh, different companies have different, different services. Um, we, last year, we have the first driverless pizza delivery in Houston, uh, and it was just amazing to see customers ranging from three-year-old all the way to 80 years old uh, using a robot uh, getting their pizza from Domino's. Uh, so this is definitely happening. Uh, I think now the industry is trying to figure out how to grow, how, how to put more vehicles on the road safely uh, and grow this as a business. You know, part of uh, what makes us at Greylock as a just amazingly delighted investor in both companies and was part of our discussions early on is that you were both very sophisticated about how you approached safety. Because obviously safety is one of the important things. I'll just invert it just so we're not always doing the same pattern. I'll start with Jay-Z and then go to Chris. Let's talk a little bit about how safety is uh, fundamental to your architecture from ground up and what you're doing. Yeah, um, maybe I'll talk a bit more about uh, our uh, unique application. So because we focus on goods transportation, there's just no passenger in the vehicle. Uh, and uh, by not having a passenger vehicle, we get the opportunity to really design the vehicle from the ground up to optimize for safety for other road users. So not only we try to design a vehicle that is very neighborly, friendly, um, but also it's a bit narrower. So you have more space around you. You can uh, avoid uh, accidents more easily. Um, and because there's no passenger, you can do things on the vehicle that you cannot do on a passenger vehicle. Uh, so for example, at the front end of the vehicle, we have an external facing airbag. Uh, so this is, in case there's an accident, if there's a collision, uh, the vehicle will detect that and deploy the airbag, uh, you know, 30, 40 milliseconds right before uh, the collision. Uh, so this is something that we think is going to be really, really uh, uh, good for uh, safety. Another example, uh, also because there's no passenger in the vehicle, we can decelerate the vehicle uh, much more aggressively. Uh, that you cannot do if you have a passenger inside. Um, so these are examples of things that we, we, we had uh, basically at the first day when we start designing the vehicle, uh, try to leverage the fact that we don't have passengers inside. And for us, we, we drive passengers and we drive giant trucks. Uh, so we're neither skinnier nor can we uh, stop as aggressively and as, you can as put the airbags in the front. And, well, I guess we could, but uh, I don't know that it helps with a 70 ton truck or whatever yes. we're driving down the road. Um, and so for us, uh, we have to think. You know, you know, even more holistically about safety, we, we embed it right in our culture. Uh, you know, if you look at our company's mission, is deliver the benefits of self-driving technology safely, quickly, and broadly, because it was, it was so important to put it in place up front. Uh, and then we're one of the few companies, I think maybe the only company, uh, that has actually shared how we're going to convince ourselves the thing is safe to be on the road. And this big structured argument, we call it a safety case uh, framework that breaks down, you know, the the technical reasons when when things are working, why they'll be safe, the um, technical reasons why when things break, we'd still be safe, and then all the organizational and process stuff that we do around that to help make sure that the, the system's constantly improving and that we have controls in place. And so we, you know, we, we really just don't think you should be doing this without doing that hard work. Uh, and it's, you know, as we look at this technology, it's going to shape transportation for the next century. Uh, and so investing in that foundational part of this so that we don't kind of 
foreclose the future, I think is, is critically important. Yep. Now, related to safety is regulatory. And uh, you know, regulatory has good and regulatory has bad. What are the places that each of you would kind of suggest slash nudge slash say, here is the kind of regulatory environments that governments, especially the US, especially California, we've all interfaced with that, would say, do more of X, do less of Y, right? Yeah. Because both of you are, we're totally in the safety, like regulation is good for that, et cetera, like you're pro-regulation in that, but it's how to do it intelligently is yeah. the thing. So Jay-Z, do you want to yeah. start? Um, we uh, engage with the government very, very early. Even before we came out of stealth, we were working with Department of Transportation. Um, and um, I think there has been a lot of success on, on, on that engagement. So we became the first company. This vehicle was the first vehicle um, that got the exemption from DOT. Uh, it doesn't have steering wheel, brake pedal, but it's road legal. Uh, we also got the first commercial deployment from California. Uh, which is great, and we, we were also, I think, the first driverless pizza delivery in Houston. So to us, our mission is to better everyday life through robotics. Uh, so it, it's really, really important for us to really uh, work closely with the policymaker to help them see the benefits. Um, and, and I think um, so far it has been well received. Um, there are areas where we think we can potentially move even faster. Uh, so, so I think maybe not on this vehicle, but if you look at um, other vehicles on the road, we still have you know, tiny little side-looking mirror. Um, and, and this is one example where we have to work uh, still according to the current uh, regulation um, and uh, to make these vehicles um, really uh, uh, following the current code, uh, but this is not necessary for autonomous vehicles. And th I think these are areas where yeah. uh, you know, policymakers could really help us. I, I think when it comes to regulation, it's important to understand the landscape as it is today. I, in the vast majority of the US, if you have a vehicle that you're confident in the safety of, you could put it on the road and operate it uh, without having to do anything else. Right? And so, so that is a, a real competitive advantage for the country. Uh, and so when we talk about regulatory change, it's really around the edges, and it's to help maintain that advantage over time. And so much like, much like uh, Neuro, we've been engaging both at the, the federal and state levels since day one. And it's about helping um, the regulators, helping the lawmakers understand the promise of the technology, understand really what the challenges are with the technology so that they can be informed. Because the, the worst thing that happens is something bad happens, and, and it will, right? We're, we're talking about the real world. And some congressperson calls the regulator, uh, and they have to make a knee-jerk response in that moment uh, versus they're informed, they understand the situation, they understand the issues, and they can respond in a, in a, in a, in a thoughtful way. Uh, and so, so that's been our strategy over time. As I think about what could be better, you know, like we would love at some point uh, when the societal benefit of this technology is shown that you get protections for litigation that look like the airline industry, right? That would be great for business, great for society. Uh, we would love to see um, 
more nationalized, harmonized regulations. So the way the regulatory stack works is the federal government regulates the safety of the vehicle. The states regulate the safe operation of the vehicle. Normally, those are relatively deconvolved. Obviously, when you, you build a self-driving vehicle, they become quite convolved. Uh, and so it'd be great that you know, the, the rules of the road, the, the, the safety expectations were consistent across the, the country. A lot of folks in the room will already know because they'll have some ties to the kind of the AI world and so forth, like what the importance of simulation is and, and how do you, you know, uh, wrap that in your process of learning and all that. So we don't go into that. Let's actually go a little bit to the tactile hardware parts of it. And, you know, one of the things I, you know, knowing both of you very well and us having all, con all having collaborated on this, is you know, there's a little bit of a debate of, well, you should just do it with cameras. No, 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 actually LIDAR and all the rest of these things. And actually, in fact, you know, my own point of view, which I think is, you know, I'll state it for myself, but I think it's reflected in, in the things you guys also believe is like, well, why not have maximum safety? If, like, if I was driving a car and I had LIDAR too, that'd be great because let's make it safer, right? Like, like sure, I have perfectly functional eyes and response, but let's make it safer. Say a little bit about the kind of sensors, sensor fusion, the approach for making this not just as good as what we have, but so much better than what we have. Uh, Jay-Z, I'll start with you, and then Chris will go to you. Yeah, sure. Um, I completely agree with you, Reid. Um, so we have laser, we have radar, um, we have uh, camera, we, we have thermal camera. Some of the sensors are built in-house, um, and, and we really believe that this is the right pass for um, uh, level four autonomy. Uh, and um, I think one, um, maybe one uh, insight uh, was that I think people tend to look at, oh, you know, companies like Tesla, you know, what is their approach? Um, and I think, um, there is a little bit nuance here that I think the the optimization function, if you think about building a product for a consumer vehicle versus building a fully autonomous fleet, maybe you have a you know operate the fleet that's your that's your business uh, the The optimization or the objective function could be very different. Uh, I think the cost of the sensors could be different, you know how fast and uh, you know, you're going to use all of these sensors, how fast you can replace them, um, and, and I think all of these things become very, very different. Um, so I, I, I think for um, um, our business, uh, where we operate a fleet of autonomous vehicles for goods delivery in this case, we really believe that using the most advanced redundant sensors to maximize for safety is the right pass. Yeah, so we're going to break news today, and we're going to announce that we're ripping everything that isn't cameras off of the Aurora vehicles. No, we, we totally <laughs> don't believe that, right? I, we, we agree completely with uh, the way Chai-Chun thinks about this, that I think, you know, I, I can't remember who said it from the Tesla camp. They said, LiDAR's a crutch. Um, and, you know, and, and I, in my mental mind, or my model, engineering is all about cheating. And so anytime you can cheat by using better capabilities, better technology, you should do that. It allows you to solve the problem more quickly. It allows you to solve the problem in better ways. And, and again, as we think about whether it's a, a multi-thousand pound uh, light vehicle or a tens of thousand pound truck driving down the road, having redundancy in the way you understand the world, having the robustness that comes from seeing at different frequencies and 
uh, and thus different penetration of, uh, of weather, different ways things fail. And it, it's really the only way that you're going to get something robust enough that you know, we, we could really trust it. And you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who bashes human driving, right? 40,000 Americans killed uh, last year, and that number's going up. But the flip side of it is um, it's something like one every 85 million miles of driving, which is a really impressive statistic. Uh, and so if we want to hit that level of performance, that many nines of reliability and robustness, we have to pull kind of all the tricks out of the bag to be able to do it. Well, that kind of actually led to the next question that I had here, which is, what should be the expectation of kind of the benchmarks or the OKRs of like what is safe enough, what is efficient enough for, you know, kind of full pedal to the metal, we should be deploying the stuff as fast as possible. We already know that we have enough safety, we're on the road, we've got various things happening, Texas, other places. But what should be some of the concepts where people say, okay, that's the measure because it shouldn't be zero accidents. That's foolish, yeah. right? Like just mm -hmm. like, it's irrational and mm -hmm. and self-destructive. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what should be the way that people think about? It? Chris, we'll start with you. Yeah. So, so first, it's got to be commercially relevant, right? There's not a whole lot of point scaling something if it can't do something useful in the world. And, and I think we're both fortunate that we're working on applications where where there is immense value, right? We have tremendous shortage of drivers. We've just seen the impact that that. That partly led to with the supply chain challenges. So you know, there, there's got to be both commercial and social value uh, there. And then on the safety side, you're right. We we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, um, right? And over time, this technology is going to improve as we get more experience. The road is going to improve. We're going to learn more about how things fail. And so we need to find an acceptable level of risk that is you know is not unreasonable. And by the way, that's the bar that Department of Transportation uses that you see you're not creating unreasonable risk on the road. So for us, we think about how do we know the Aurora driver is going to do the correct thing? And you know, I, I would you know, pause it for you. Imagine you're driving down the road um, and a vehicle swerves into you. Uh, this is actually one of the very common ways that trucks get in accidents is actually another vehicle swerving into them. Well, it's probably not okay for you to be oblivious to it and just have them hit you, right? You should probably take some kind of responsive action. Um, but it's also probably not okay for you to have, like, drive off of the road uh, to avoid it, right? There's a lot more risk that comes with that. So there's some correct behavior, which is move away up to a limit and slow down. So as we think about it, it's kind of spelling out some of those underlying, simple, understandable guiding principles and achieving a level of performance that's is, you know, comparable to a good human driver. Yeah, I, I, the only thing that I would add is um, um, I, I think uh, one thing that I learned from uh, building Neuro and also previously working with Chris at Google was I think building the autonomous system uh, that is in a real-time safety-critical environment in the physical world is really, really hard. Um, and in order to do that, it's not just you know, the AI part uh, needs to be really, really good. But you also have to develop this really amazing foundation uh, in the company uh, from requirements all the way to validation um, to go through the entire process that allows you to have the confidence in the safety uh, performance of, of the product that you're building. Um, and to me, I think that is a, a pretty unique aspect of um, uh, autonomous vehicle technology. And, and I think, um, you know, 
Chris said, which I, I agree, not to introduce unreasonable risks when we deploy. Um, you know, how do you actually measure that? How do you actually quantify that? I think this is really, really the, um, uh, the challenge that, that we're, we're all working to try to solve. What are some of the most challenging parts of the environments that each of you is navigating that is part of like, the, this, is what, this is why this is here and now, but also the result of so much work and the work that you're still doing. And part of that just to give folks a, an idea, because one of the things I thought was funny when, when we did the investments is watching how easy it was to get someone going to 70%. And then the rest of it started getting much, much harder. And so, and, and both of your guys focus on that. Like both of you gave, taught me things around, you know, okay, how are you dealing with construction cones? How are you dealing with tunnels? Mm -hmm. How are you dealing with, like, mm -hmm. and I, those are the questions I started asking people. So with us, as we think about trucks driving at freeway speed, the amount of kinetic energy involved is large. And so to be able to kind of slow down and avoid things, you have to look out, you know, getting on for half a kilometer, 400, 500 meters. Uh, and it turns out that's hard, right? You either have very narrow field of view cameras or preferably you have narrow field of view cameras plus uh, amazing sensors. And, and in our case, uh, we're developing this special technology, First Light, uh, which is a kind of LIDAR that can see further than what we, you know, the pulse LIDARs that almost everybody else uses. Uh, and it allows us to both see further, it allows us to instantly measure how fast things are moving so that we could figure out how much of a threat they are. And that allows us to react meaningfully sooner. In the case of what we've been looking at for, you know, our sensor versus some off-the-shelf uh, LIDARs, we see about two football fields further than they can. And that is about seven seconds sooner that we get to react, which is, you know, just magic. Um, yeah, I think I think the the long tail uh, edge cases are also evolving over time. Uh, so I think you know maybe ten years ago it's very much kind of focused on perception problems, right? I remember, you know, we probably spent a lot of time dealing with like leaf blower or fog, you know, or just reflective you know, uh, science. Um, I, I think um, uh, nowadays, I think the edge cases for us, you know, we focus a lot on low speed neighborhoods, you know, very um, uh, maybe the opposite end uh, from the high speed road where you have to see very far. We don't have to see very, very far, but you have to uh, be able to handle a lot of unpredicted uh, agents in, yeah. uh, in the world. So for example, um, you know, kids riding a bike, that could be very, very unpredictable. Uh, you know, kids running into the roads, chasing the ball. These tend to be some of the hardest cases. Yep. All right, questions. And if not, I have a ton, but. Over here. Oh, this is funny. Just about the date. Uh, when are you going to see self-driving cars as a business on public streets in, in America? Sorry, when are you going to see self-driving self cars? Self cars in the streets and in, in today? Well, already today, right. in Thunder, you, you, know you go to San Francisco today and you can get a ride around and, and enjoy it. Actually, do you want, no, no, go ahead and find your question. Uh, part of the question was as a business, when are we going to as see them commercially deployed? And yeah. right now they're still in testing phase and I think they're not available to the general public yet. And some of them at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I a think driver inside, some of them have no driver inside, that's rare. 
Yep. But we're not going to see them as a business. Yeah, so, so one of the reasons why Aurora is focusing on trucking is because the business, we think, makes more sense earlier. That, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of really great social reasons, but you're asking about business. You know, a, a truck driver, we pay about three times as much as we pay a ride-hailing driver. We're short about 70,000 of them, so there's a real economic need. And we expect that um, driving on freeways, it's much more similar than driving through different neighborhoods. And so we expect there to be kind of uh, operational scaling rather than technological scaling. For us, we're looking to launch, uh, we're working towards end of 24, uh, where we'll have fully redundant trucks. At that point, the trucks will be scalable, and we'll expect to start to be building you know, a really exciting and interesting business at that point. Yeah, I, I, we, we're already doing commercial deliveries, but at small scale, uh, if we are talking about more scaled commercial operation in multiple cities, uh, I, I think this is going to happen in the next two to three years. That's for us. Yeah, I think this is all within a couple of years. Uh, another question. And it's all right if no, because I will ask one. All right? I will ask the last question then. So. Um, what do you think this plays to globally? The very natural thing is, of course, we, you know, we have a whole bunch of intensive things playing here in the US, but there's a question about, you know, obviously there's a bunch of stuff going on in China, there's a bunch of different environments in whether it's India or Africa. How, so we've got all of this intense work working within kind of the first world. How does this broaden to, as it were, crossing the digital divide? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, that's a great, great question. I, I think there are probably going to be multiple systems. Uh, I think it's not going to be, you know, one winner take all. Um, I, I think there, for many, many reasons. Uh, you know, one is just this is taking very, very long time to develop. It's very hard for the first one to, to you know, have a, a advantage way bigger than the second one. Uh, I think there's also political reason, for example, the U.S. and China, why I mean, there's, you know, national security reason why U.S. company probably would be very hard for, for U.S. companies to go map Chinese roads uh, and then vice versa. Um, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, 20 companies. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be a very small number of companies uh, in the U.S., maybe Europe, uh, but maybe there are also a handful of companies in China. Um, and then I think we'll grow uh, um, into other countries. And before we get to yours, because this to reflect is one of the points I'd learned from Sebastian years ago, is that all of these vehicles out there are learning machines and they're sharing mm -hmm. their learnings. Mm -hmm. So when you have it in the same network, mm -hmm. even if it's in different geographies, yeah. you get an improvement from that. Yeah. And that's part of the yeah. not one, N of one, but small N yep. will be the number. Yeah. I, I also think it'll be small N. I think it's going to be balkanized for the same reason Shaijun does. I, I just, you know, we're, we're seeing it on the internet. This is going to be more scary to governments than moving data, right? We're moving atoms through the world with a lot of energy. So I think that that'll split China and, you know, a lot of the Western world. Um, you know, I expect it'll be kind of the U.S. because of regulatory uh, flexibility, Europe, uh, possibly like Korea and Japan, just because of the, the population demographics is going to be important there. And then it'll, I think, you know, two decades from now, uh, maybe this looks like what happened with mobile networks instead of landlines. That is, you are 
developing new cities, this is what you build the city around is automated transportation. And so that may actually interesting create a leapfrog there as the basically the cost of, uh, of the systems come down over time. Yeah, one of the things that I think is also very interesting that we've all talked about is how much each of these vehicles becomes a now a data center mm -hmm. uh, of yeah. inputting data, mm -hmm. you know, all of the things that could mean for how you make society much better. Like when you, like, oh, I saw a person collapse at the side of the road, maybe we should call medical services. Like all of this stuff is part of the lens ahead on this yeah. that, you know, part of why, you know, we at Greylock are so delighted to be partners with both of you is that you're thinking about these. How, how, how does our vehicle massively improve society? What are our responsibilities on the downside, like safety, but also how do we, like how are people's lives so much better, including like work and truck drivers yep. and all the rest. So um, on the behalf of all of us, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Gray Matter. If you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please let us know how we're doing by rating Gray Matter. We really appreciate your feedback. I'm Heather Mack, and thanks for listening.